the space shuttle Atlantis drifts through Earth's orbit on another routine mission. Without warning, a meteor shower descends upon the craft. Meteor after meteor rips through the shuttle until it is nothing but a destroyed, floating mess. These meteors don't stop there. They continue their descent right into the buildings of Manhattan. NASA then discovers an asteroid the size of Texas is on a direct trajectory with Earth. Only 18 days stand between them and complete annihilation. Humanity's only hope is a team of deep core oil drillers who can insert and detonate a nuclear bomb to split the asteroid in half. Okay, that's the plot to the 1998 film Armageddon, but the concept of landing on an asteroid is a dream humanity has held for a long time. And right now, long-held sci-fi dreams about space travel are becoming a reality. I'm Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality, a podcast that explores technology and the future we're headed towards. Today, I'm thinking about mining on the moon. We definitely have to learn, you know, from the mistakes of Earth and try and not repeat those in space. Meet Daniel Sachs. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Canadian Space Mining Corporation. Space mining. That phrase gets thrown around occasionally, especially in the early 2000s where landing on an asteroid to mine it was a compelling idea, one that we were actually looking into. But around the early 2010s, the idea of mining in space kind of died out. Space agencies turned their attention to more reasonable and attainable goals. Overall, besides a few robots on Mars and the Moon, there wasn't much progress in space exploration that was in the public zeitgeist. That's not to say stuff wasn't happening in the field of space exploration, it just wasn't at the front of people's minds. That is until billionaires began turning their eyes to the skies, bringing the idea of space travel back into the public sphere. Right now, there's a host of missions for scientists, governments, and billionaires alike. And in terms of mining, space agencies have set their eyes on a more predictable celestial body, the moon. So the last generation of kind of space mining companies was about 10 years ago, planetary resources and companies like that. And they were really focused on bringing precious metals back to Earth. You know, that could be valuable long term. It's more complicated, certainly and isn't what we need. We're we're going right now back to the moon and we need infrastructure and capabilities uh, when we go there. Beyond that, we think the moon has a lot of things about it that are more similar um, than dissimilar than they are to Earth. So there is gravity, there's one sixth gravity. The asteroids doesn't really offer that type of thing. So I think that's kind of further out in the timeline. Like I think you'll be mining on the moon. We need to be you know, harvesting resources on the moon in the next kind of 10 years. Um, And I think asteroids are probably 15 to 20 years out still. We've entered into a new age of space exploration. And while this comes with a whole new set of problems for those who are Earthbound, it's hard to deny that going to space isn't exciting. I mean, who hasn't looked up at the stars and wondered what's out there? But space travel, like exploration, brings a new set of demands and challenges that must be solved before we can bring about our sci-fi dreams. Which is where the Canadian Space Mining Corporation is trying to help. 
one of their main focuses being on supplying a key ingredient to human life, oxygen. We are a lunar resources and development corporation focused on building an energy supply chain in space in order to enable the coming space age. It's about creating a new supply chain of resources that are outside of Earth's gravity. So, you know, the primary thing that we're going after is oxygen. And oxygen is really abundant here, but it's really heavy. So it's inefficient to bring it to space. The lunar dust is about 45% oxygen by weight. And if we can process it out of the dust, then we have oxygen to sustain human life in space. And oxygen is also the primary component in rocket fuel. There's a return to the moon happening right now. There is a space station called Gateway that's under construction, that's fully funded. That'll be operational in lunar orbit around 2027. I mean, I think people just aren't realizing the amount of activity that's going on. We're aware of 130 missions planned to the moon between now and 2030. I mean, a lot of those are, you know, robotic. They're either rovers, they're science missions, they're satellites, but there's a lot of activity. This is happening and it's really accelerating on a daily basis. There's a drive to explore. It is really kind of what has driven humanity for a long time is our desire to explore. Now that the launch problem has been solved and is scaling and it's easier to bring mass up to space, then once you do that, you kind of want to explore, right? And so how do we get off to Mars? Well, how are we going to survive on Mars? In order to survive on Mars, we have to figure out you know, how to survive and live off land on maybe a planet or body that's closer, and that's the moon. And so kind of all these things in culmination... Plus, there's a lot of important work that can be done in the lunar environment, you know, work that scientific work that'll help answer questions of who we are, where we came from, how we got here. Why does this all matter? The answer to how to supply oxygen in space is apparently the dirt. Who would have known? Apparently, the European Space Agency did. In 2019, they announced they found a way to extract oxygen from the regolith on the moon, essentially loose dust. While the process is in its beginning stages, the ESA already has plans in the works to send tech to the moon to see how feasible this process is. They actually selected the team in March 2022. Obviously, the Canadian Space Mining Corporation isn't part of the European Space Agency, but they are part of the group of people who believe this technology will be necessary to explore the stars, or the moon in this case. The technology has been quite well studied for a while. There's competing architectures and processes happening internationally. It's not really just us, right? So the whole world is working on various components of this. And what we're trying to do is lead Canada into a leadership position into it. Because we believe this is really Canada's right to win. It's right in our sweet spot. We have the world's leading natural resource industry. We have a long, deep heritage in space technologies, space robotics, communications. And we think that plays really well to us being a long-term leader here and partner for the rest of the world. I mentioned that space travel brings about a whole host of issues. Pollution being one of the biggest ones. So after the break, we'll take a look at where this space age is going and how it impacts those of us who are Earthbound. According to NASA, two solid rocket boosters consume an average of 11,000 pounds of fuel per second. 
That's about 2 million times the rate at which fuel is burned by the average family car. That's a lot of fuel and chemicals that have been proven to damage our atmosphere, getting pumped out into our atmosphere. Another problem is that some argue that we should be spending this money, time, and resources on fixing the problems on Earth. And while I love space exploration, if you've listened to this podcast, you know we have some pressing issues that humanity should be dealing with first. To argue with myself though, space exploration has led to a number of everyday innovations. Camera phones, CAT scans, artificial limbs, not to mention things like memory foam, wireless headsets, and the computer mouse. This rich history of innovation has led to a core tenet of Daniels. The tech they create for space needs to have a purpose on Earth. I think that's like a fundamental philosophical view of ours. One, it's the pragmatic reality of having a viable business in the near term is developing technology that can be utilized on Earth. We think that solving the problem of space resources and harvesting resources in space is applicable to the big problems facing Earth. So clean air, clean water, remote energy generation, stuff like that. And so the stuff we're working on, we think is applicable to Earth's biggest problems. The things that we have developed, the technologies for years that we have developed in space have really had a big impact on Earth. Our ability to communicate on a platform like this did not exist without space, right? I think there's a lot of exciting technologies that will come from the next generation of space development, planetary exploration that we think can be impactful in people's lives. And it's things that are obvious, like the clean air, clean water piece, which is obviously one of the biggest problems facing humanity in the coming century. But it's also the accidental technologies that get discovered along the way that aren't really intentional. It's just like, oh, well, we needed this, we developed it for space, and it's got this huge application on Earth. You know, we're we're working on a sensor for discovering water on other planets. And along the way, we developed and and are developing, you know, a medical imaging device that we think can bring care into remote communities, into first aid situations. And that was us trying to figure out a way to explore water on other planets. And we think we found a way to maybe help people's lives on Earth. Before we finished, I asked what Daniel's hope for the future of space travel looks like. You know, we think we can build the world's leading space resources company. We think we can build the leading space company in Canada, inject a little enthusiasm into Canada's space industry. We're we're really optimistic and excited to be able to contribute. Um, We think that Canada can be a real world leader here. And I think we're excited to be a part of it. You know, we're lucky to have, and I'm lucky to have a great team of very talented individuals but we're looking for more people. We're looking for, you know, investors and, and, and capital, and we're looking for partners to help us solve some of these big problems and, and, you know, take on this challenge together. There's a lot of benefit that can come out of it. You know, it takes a village, right? And so it's not something we can do on our own. You know, the government of Canada is doing some stuff already. You know, we're, we're contributing to some of the efforts to the moon, But Canada needs to step up and and take a leadership position here within space resources. You know, it is really our kind of right to win. So, you know, there have been laws passed in other countries for space resources. Canada needs to put in place a regulatory framework 
And it needs to step out and, and decide to, to lead at this area, which we think it can be win at. We won a, a big contract with the Canadian Space Agency a couple of weeks ago to push forward a vision for the future of Canada's space industry with regards to the lunar environment and space mining and in-situ resource utilization. So we're really, you know, obviously thankful for that support of the government um, and for the opportunity to perform important work like that. But yeah, I think this is an important story that that should be told and that really lends to a lot of things. It's about, you know, clean water, clean air. It's about clean tech. It's about the future of Canadian industry, innovation, and our ability to extend our brand as responsible resource leader, um, you know, to the next uh, domain, which is space. It's exporting the best approach, the most thoughtful approach towards resources that we can in space. We think about it in terms of thinking holistically. So how do we use lunar dust and lunar resources as preciously as possible? So how can I think about extracting as much from one scoop or shovel of lunar dust as versus just taking one piece and throwing away the rest? Because we want to have as little impact as possible. We need to utilize the resources, but we need to do so in a thoughtful and holistic way. Earth is undeniably entering into a transition point, an inflection point, one of shifting politics, new crises, and mindsets coming from two years of isolation. Space travel brings about a hope for something else, something bigger, something to look to as a sign of the future. We are talking about self-sustaining lunar bases that fuel the future of space travel being real in the next five to ten years. But as we turn our eyes to the skies, we do need to address the issues on Earth. Because the hope this technology brings us about an exciting future of exploring the stars also brings about the fear that this technology may be our last hope of escaping and living among the stars. Thank you for listening to Technality, a Narcity Media podcast. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. If you want to stay up to date with where our future is headed, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And for more technology content, check out Technality Socials. <laughs>